0: This is Kurt Ballew from Converge, and you're listening to The New Scene.
1: And welcome to the new scene. This is Keith and Tommy and we're back with another brand new episode. Tommy, I'm so happy to be able to do the original intro with you. Don't you love it?
0: I miss it a lot. I'll be honest. (laughs) (laughs) I really do miss this sitting in my basement talking to you about music. I I, I miss this a lot. I do.
1: Well, we're back. And listen, if you're a newer listener to the show, Tommy is co-founder of the show. And he was my original co-host for the first 111 episodes of the show. And we had to bring him back because we have a very special episode for you. We have the one, the only, Stephen Brodsky of Cave-In and Mutoid Man. Mutoid Man have an excellent new LP that just came out. It's called Mutants. It's great. He's great. We cover everything. The origins of Mutoid Man, recording the new record a whole bunch of cave stuff, everything. Tommy, it's good to have you back for this episode because, you know, we were trying to get cave on the first
0: year of the show, I think. A hundred percent. They were like the, like, get. Because for both of us, it was, cave was the band that got us into hardcore. Oh, for you too. For me, I think the big thing was, I got into punk rock and crust first, but my earliest memory of cave was, I heard them... Not actually hurt like I, I didn't see them live. I was at a Dillinger Escape Plan show with Anthony in nineteen ninety seven, nineteen ninety-eight at an auto body place in Warminster, and they were playing songs in between bands, and I literally had to run up to the guy and I'm like, What are you playing right now? And he was like, Uh, it's crossbear from Caven. And I was like, I need to go look this up immediately. Like, I need to I need to find out this band. It was the perfect mesh of Heavy and melodic, and just it, it was everything I l- was looking for in music at that time, and it just it it resonated so heavy with me. I just loved it. I, I loved everything about it. I loved the aesthetic. I loved the music. I loved. Just the way they looked, like the, it, it. Just they didn't look like hardcore guys. Like when I saw them live, I was like, "Oh shit, they look like normal dudes." <laughs> they, yeah, like, they don't look like tough guys. It's not like seeing Marauder. It's like fucking like regular dudes. Like it was that to me was like, "Oh, this is attainable. This is really fucking cool. I love that. I love that part of them."
1: That. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, they were half the reason I got into hardcore and this greater world of music in the first place there's I have two distinct memories of Caven number 1 hearing programmed behind for the first time I was like oh I don't know if I can get into this music there's too much screaming it's too heavy I don't know and I was in Mike Shaw's car Mike Shaw of this day forward we were driving somewhere and I was in the back seat and Programmed Behind came on the Caven song from Beyond Hypothermia and You know, there's like that melodic part at the end. It's kind of that mid-90s, mid-to-late-90s emo-sounding stuff that was going on. And I was like, hey, I really like this. Maybe I could like this after all. And I think I heard Beyond Hypothermia and Until Your Heart Stops. I think I got them together. But I'll never forget hearing Juggernaut for the first time, where that melodic part, right before it goes into the breakdowns, oh my god, I still get goosebumps to this day when I hear it.
0: There's a really good thing if you have nice headphones, listen to Juggernaut, and right before the breakdown comes in, there is a slight bell in the left hand ear, like in your left ear. It literally just goes, <laughs> It's amazing. I literally had to call. I had to call Vadim one time and be like, "Is that real? Like, is that a thing? Am I m- imagining this?" And he's like, "No, no, I can hear that too." I'm like, "All right, cool." I'm not going insane. We're good. (laughs) And, you know, Mutoid
1: Man, another great band. I was really excited when Mutoid Man broke onto the scene because, you know, Steve was dipping his hand back into heavier music, and that was really exciting for me. And they're doing great things. And look, you're going to hear all about it. That conversation is coming up shortly. But first, here's how you can support The New Scene. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at New Pod. Shirts. We have shirts available for sale at Deathwish Inc. There's a long sleeve option. There's short sleeve options. Pick up a shirt. It's a great way to support the show. Reviews. Give us five star reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Hit that five star button if you haven't done it yet. You can write a review on Apple Podcasts and you can leave feedback on Spotify. And Tommy, I have a new review here. Are you ready for this? Let's go. All right. This is from. Kyle G85, he says, great guests, amazing host, five stars. Keith has a very consistent and enjoyable tempo and tone. I learn so many new things each episode. The interview with Kat from FOM was epic. Keep it up, Keith. Now, Tommy, I know this review is focused on me because you've been absent from the scene for a while, but would you agree that I have a very consistent and enjoyable tempo (laughs) (laughs) and tone? (laughs)
0: yeah it's consistent it's it this is Keith is robotic when it comes to this stuff I actually he sent me the unedited version of the interview with Caven uh, and I was like, oh when he asks a question and he even stumbles a little bit like he hesitates on a word or does anything he repeats the entire thing so that when you get a product at the end it is, one hundred percent perfect. Like he legitimately cares about every single detail about this podcast, and I I, I absolutely love that.
1: Yeah, I'm a perfectionist to uh, detrimental degrees, and um, that's a little bit behind the scenes for you there, people. I uh, I stumble when I ask questions a lot, but I edit them perfectly to deliver them to you. So, Kyle, thanks so much for the review. Keep them coming, everybody. It really helps us out in the podcast rankings. Also, don't forget to support. Iodine Recordings. Stretch Armstrong, a revolution transmission, is available on vinyl for the first time in 20 years. There's a few mint green LPs left to pre-order as I record this, so make sure you grab one before they're gone in the Iodine store. Six going on seven have joined the Iodine Recordings family. You can stream Method Actor and New Faith in Loss from their New Faith in Loss 7-inch Six going on seven features Josh English, who I've had on the podcast. And you know what? I listened to Method Actor again today. Man, this band is so good. I forgot how good they were. Check it out if you're into the emo-infused indie rock type sound. It's really, really good. The Iron Roses are returning to Europe this December with Shoreline. Those dates kick off December 3rd in Germany. And my band, The Darling Fire, has two gigs coming up in August Saturday, August 19th at Amityville Music Hall, and Sunday, August 20th in Philadelphia at Kung Fu Necktie. Advanced tickets are available in my bio. Sign up for the iodine email list. You'll find out about everything first. For more information, head to the iodine Instagram at Iodine Recordings or to the iodine website at iodinerecordings.com. Also, don't forget to support this month's sponsor. New Morality Zine. That's right. New Morality Zine is back. They are our sponsor for the month of August. NMZ is a Midwest-based zine and independent record label specializing in hardcore, post-hardcore, and alternative music. And here's what's going down. Pre-orders are up for Curse the Knives, There's a Place I Can Rest, and that's out September 8th vinyl and merch bundles are available in the nmz web store the cassette repress of wish you were here by demo division is available now that's limited to 50 tapes so pick one up before they're gone stateside has tour dates this fall with montclair to support their release it's what we do that just came out july 30th on nmz and those tour dates kick off september 15th in san diego there's a new morality gig at Beat Kitchen in Chicago on September 13th that features restraining order, gum, and some other great bands. Check it out if you're in Chicago. Also, get 10% off any order in the NMZ web store with the code NEWSCENEPOD. For more information, head to the New Morality Zine Instagram at Zine, or head to their website at newmoralityzine.com. Okay, so Tommy, let's talk music recommendations. What have you got?
0: Lay it on us. The entire new Jerome's Dream is unbelievable. It is incredible front to back. Like they are just, they are everything I like about that heavy emotive music. It's just, it's so smartly done and so well thought out. And just, I really, really enjoy it. Um, The other thing, I just got this like a day ago. The new Kublai track. it's called uh, Theory of Mind. If you are into super, super heavy, like breakdown kind of stuff, like knock loose, that kind of thing, this is for you. Go lift weights and go listen to the new Kublai track, Theory of Mind. It is absolutely brutal. I'm convinced they use like bridge cables instead of strings it is so <laughs> fucking heavy it's like it's like well it's like what holds up the verrazano bridge <laughs> it's, like, it's like that. that's what they fucking put on their guitars and their bass it is unreal it's so heavy it's so good and their message is about kind of self-reliance and just being kind of forthright and, and and being truthful and being about what is right. And I, I enjoy their music. I really, really, really like what they do. Um, their energy on stage is phenomenal. I, I've only seen them once, but uh, the, the stuff I see on YouTube is unbelievable. So uh, those are my two recommendations. The last thing I would say, it, I don't know if it's still happening, but if Braid is still on tour and you can see them, uh go see them. I saw them in Lancaster. They were unbelievable. They were so good. They were Braid was one of those bands that I knew the whole album front to back um for Frame and Canvas, and it was perfection. And then they played for another 40 minutes after that. <laughs> they played the whole album and they played for almost another hour. It was it was really great. You actually went to see them recently. Uh yeah, I went with rich middle of July, I think. it See,
1: I I had no idea what you were up to. And look, I need to ask you more (laughs) questions about that because Tommy is up to things that I have no idea about. And you know what? I got to ask him about it. But here's what I'm listening to. I'm still on a ambient kick. I was listening to some Hammock today. I was listening to some Antent. I'm still listening to Helios. When I talked to Mike from Page 99, we started talking about Respire, and I remembered how much I like them. So I've been listening to them again as well. You remember them, Tommy.
0: We had them on the show when you were still here. Dude, excellent band. They have one of the best live videos on YouTube. They have a fest up in Canada somewhere where um, it has, the word is friends in it. Friends that- New Friends Fest. There it is. Thank you. That performance from New Friends Fest is, it's 40 minutes of just absolute demolition. Like they are so good and so tight live and the stuff that you think like, oh, you know, like they might not be able to pull this off live. They have two horn players. They have a violin player. They have a viola player. They have a cello player like this. It, it all comes through the stuff you hear on the recording comes through live. And it's that same type of emotion and that same type of heartfelt really just it's it's not even post rock. What do you call that? Like, I, They call it post everything post everything there you go i was going to say <laughs> the guy from respire had a name for it like but it's it's so good and it's just it's so raw and I, that's what i love about music that's that's the thing that like they're they're a great band and on top of that um they seem like really nice people that are just they have their hearts in the right place and they're honestly really really nice people well listen check back in with me and tommy in segment 3 we're going to catch
1: up i'm going to find out what tommy's been up to we're going to get to the bottom of all of it, but right now we are going to speak to Steven Brodsky of Mutoid Man and Caven. Enjoy we are here now with Stephen Brodsky Steve welcome to the show hey thanks for having me Keith yes yeah, Steve it's great to have you here you know you've done a whole lot throughout your life in music and otherwise we've got a new mutoid man mutants coming later this month in July you've had a an incredible career with cave in you've actually managed to be in like pretty much all my favorite bands Steve you know which is which is great and you know what We're going to talk about all of that. But first, I want to ask you, how are you doing today?
2: Well, today I'm doing great. I'm stoked to be here, uh, part of this podcast. And I had a pretty creative day. Um, You know, it's middle of July. So uh, what better thing to do um, in order to keep cool than uh, work on a Christmas song? So that's what I've been doing. (laughs) (laughs) Who is it for? Are you writing it? I am. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not sure who it's for. I mean, I'd like to release it at some point, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm involved with a publishing company, BMG and, uh, you know, I've taken stabs at music placement in the past. Um, to be honest, the best luck I've had in the world of music is just doing what I've always been doing. Um, but it's still a fun exercise for me to, Write in that kind of way, um, so I'll share the song with them. Um, maybe I'll put it out under my own name, or I don't know. Maybe I'll convince the Caven guys to jump in on it. I'm, we'll, we'll see. It, it's, it's, it's only July, so uh, we got six months to figure it out. <laughs> you know, I used to when I was younger and more judgmental. I used to scoff
1: at the idea of you know, bands in this world of music doing Christmas songs, but I actually enjoy it now because it's like, why wouldn't I want to hear Christmas music from bands I enjoy rather than all the older stuff?
2: I totally hear you on that, but let's be real. I mean, a lot of Christmas music is pretty terrible. And <laughs> and uh, I can say that uh, now because I've actually just been researching uh, and going back and listening to, you know, this Christmas song or this Christmas record, uh, you know, not super attentively, but just sort of grazing over stuff. And, um, uh, I can't remember the name of the Christmas record. I, I think it's called a very special Christmas. Uh, it came out in like the eighties and U2 is on it and Bon Jovi and, uh, Madonna. And, uh, you know, I sort of skipped through this thing and, uh, I came to realize, wow, Run DMC has hands down the best Christmas track on this record. Um, <laughs> Is that the one from the beginning of Die Hard? Uh, it must be, yeah. Uh, you know, I-, I can't hold a candle to Run DMC, but I'm going to do my best with uh, this-, this Christmas song I'm working on. You've got to try. I mean, I love the idea of a cave-in Christmas song. I think that would be good. Thanks, man. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. So you said you work uh, doing publishing with BMG? Well, I'm I'm actively involved with them, so um you know, when it comes to writing music, I always have the option to use their resources for seeking song placements or um reaching out to any number of other writers, musicians, artists that are affiliated within the publishing company to co-write and work on music. Um they have an office in New York. And so when I lived in New York, I was there very frequently, um, involved in all kinds of things. Uh, I, I moved to Massachusetts about two years ago. So my involvement with BMG um, has changed as a result of that. But um, it, it's been a great experience um, just getting to know some really wonderful people over there and, you know, getting out of my comfort zone and just doing weird stuff for, for me, you know? Um, and, uh, I've come to realize that people that work in that world that operate heavily within the world of publishing and sync and placement and co-writes, I mean, they make it their lives and they really invest themselves much like I've invested myself in touring bands and, you know, Caven since 1995 and Mutoid Man for 10 years now. And uh, so uh, it's tough. It's it's very competitive in that way because the people who do it, they're there to do it, you know, full time, full on. And, uh, you know, I just kind of dip my toes in. Um, But anything that gets me to write music and just to stay active and be prolific, uh, I usually find it to be fairly... Uh, like a a healthy thing a healthy exercise to engage in
1: absolutely so do you actually write music that uh, someone will use or are you seeking placement for existing bands or both like how does it work
2: well i've done some co-writes with artists bands um you know working on material that we either come up with together or it might just be like a nugget or a fraction fraction of an idea that um turns into something greater after a collaboration. But I'm I'm picky. You know, I don't want to work with just anybody. And um you know I, I think that's also something that artists should be aware of is is their their biases and their tastes and and, and to always seek making better music. Um, so I think across the board, I'm not necessarily the best fit for um, a lot of potential co-writes out there, um, but that's what makes it fun for me. It's because uh, it's not something I rely upon. It's not something I invest myself in 100%. You know, my, my bands are super active and they take up a lot of bandwidth, a lot of creative energy so uh, you know, I, I sort of reserve the co-writing and, and producing and that sort of thing just for special occasions.
1: Gotcha. It's gotta be nice to be working with music still, right? Like I mean the podcast the podcast is a grind at this point, but it's stuff that I love, so I enjoy it. Do you feel that way about working with BMG?
2: Well, I just feel that way in general. Um, I might just be having a good wave right now. Um but uh, I, I definitely do not take it for granted at this point in my life. And um, for a number of reasons, um, it's a way to stay in touch with my friends, honestly. Uh, you know, we're all getting to that point where we're heavily invested in home life and families and having kids. And, you know, everybody exists sort of in their own bubbles, which is cool. And that's normal for um, this period of life, I think. But uh, that's how we socialize is, you know, get together and write music or book a tour or make a record. So, the fact that I have my hands in a lot of active musical sources and bands and projects, um, it just keeps me in touch with people and, and I find that to be very healthy in itself.
1: You know what? I'm happy to hear you say that because sometimes I feel weird like, oh, I only hang out with people if it's band practice or a tour or some collaboration or something like that. But that's mostly how I connect with people, and that's mostly how I like to connect with people.
2: That's great. Yeah, I, I wouldn't feel weird about that at all. Um, it's a gift, really. Um, if the music keeps drawing you and your friends back together to do stuff, um, that's, that's a wonderful thing. Absolutely. So uh, what's your situation? Married, girlfriend, what's going on? Uh, I have a girlfriend. Um, We're currently in a long-distance relationship, so it's a little tricky, but um, we have plans to move in together pretty soon. I'm pretty stoked about that. And um, yeah, uh, I, I feel very fortunate to uh, to be involved with her. And yeah, it, we've been together now for about four years. We've known each other for a little bit longer, um, but it's it's going great. Yeah. How about yourself? Where does she live? Oh, she lives in Greenpoint.
1: Ah, yeah, that's that's just north of me. I'm in Williamsburg. Oh, right on. Yeah, cool. yeah. And me, uh, I am currently single, but I am I am open to uh, let's see. I am an open to a collaboration.
2: Awesome. Well, you hear that, people? <laughs>
1: <laughs> the word is out. Yeah, <laughs> the, word, the word is out. Look Get out. in on it. So, yeah. So uh, you moved to New York City in when 2012 when you lived here. Uh, was it 2012?
2: It may have been 2011, actually. What
1: prompted you to move here in 2011?
2: Um, a couple things, actually. Um, You know, I, I sort of hit a wall creatively in my work. And at the time, uh, Kaven had just completed the White Silence record, which is one of my favorite Kaven records. And we worked on that... Uh, basically, just getting together in our rehearsal space at a very leisurely pace. And my role in that record was very much just like producer, um, engineer. I wrote maybe two songs on the album, um, which is strange for a Caven record. Not so much these days, but uh, back in 2010 when we were working on the album, it was sort of a new thing for me to creatively. In, in the world of writing to take such a back seat. And, you know, I, I was still involved in the work that um, the other guys were coming up with. And, you know, Caleb as a songwriter and Adam, um, those guys really were just blossoming in, in such cool ways. And, um, you know, so I felt very fortunate and lucky to be around that. Um, but I knew something was off creatively. Like I wasn't super in touch with... Um, Writing heavy music. Um, I, I certainly enjoyed the recording part of making White Silence and, and, and the whole sort of assembly of that record. Um, it's a, it's such a wild sounding record, uh, for a number of reasons. Um, but I'm very proud of it. But, uh, yeah, I, I just, I had this feeling that something wasn't right in the world of creativity, in my world of creativity. And, um, so that was one thing. And I just felt like, well, maybe a change of scenery could sort of shake things up in a cool way. And, um, you know, I mentioned Caleb around that time, he had just moved from Los Angeles where he spent four years and uh, he and his wife and um, their son, Desmond, um, they came back to the East Coast and I was inspired by that. I was inspired by the fact that they just kind of uprooted, went across the country did something new and we actually had conversations about that and when i mentioned to him the possible move out of boston um because of a a woman that i was seeing at the time she lived in new york um so uh yeah another long distance relationship <laughs> that uh connected <laughs> me with uh new york city you know uh but uh yeah that's that's another huge Factor in my decision to move to New York um, was to be with this woman and um you know that lasted for about five years and um it was a a wonderful experience it it ended in a way that uh you know it was challenging but ultimately, I decided to stay in New York um, The band uh mutoid man was in full swing at that point, and um you know I, I had this active thing that was exciting. And, um, it seemed to have just sort of a life of its own at that point. And, you know, that influenced me to, to stay, to stay longer, even though the relationship had ended. Um, and also my relationship with BMG, um, was very active at that time as well. And I was very involved in, you know, trying to pitch songs for placements and co-writes. I mean, I was very green in that world, but very excited to just try to make something of it. And um yeah, so uh all things told, um, my stay in New York lasted about uh 11 years, you know? They say the 10-year mark is when you become an official New Yorker, so I did the extra year just to you know, for a little bonus point, And then I peaced out. <laughs> <laughs> you have the badge now. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Great. Yeah. So when does Mutoid Man start? Does that start when you come down here? Not too long after I moved to New York. Um, when I made the move, I brought a full stack with me, basically the rig that I used to play in Caven. You know, I didn't have much in the way of gear, and I still don't. I'm, I'm very just sort of you know, I'll use whatever I need. Basically. I just like to keep it simple. So I had my rig with me and I had no place to put it. So I shoved it in a closet and that's where it sat for months. And, um, it wasn't until Ben Kohler, who was living in Williamsburg at the time. Um, actually, no, he was living in Greenpoint, but he had a rehearsal space in Williamsburg. He said, Hey man, why don't you get that thing out of your closet and bring it down to my space? And uh, I had been to his rehearsal space and I was like, damn, dude, I don't even know if we can fit this thing. I mean, it was, a uh, very much a New York city closet sized rehearsal space. Um, just jammed full of gear, small to begin with. But, um, you know, I-, I appreciated the invite and I took him up on it and we made it work somehow. And, uh, that's when we started jamming and, you know, he and I had already sort of established a chemistry in Caven because um uh, prior to that um there was a period of time where JR, drummer of Kaven, uh sustained a wrist injury and it sidelined him. Uh he ended up moving out of the country where he met his now wife and in the process of leaving he was able to heal himself and get proper care for his injury and um of course, you know, met his his wife, which is super cool. But in that time period, um, Kaven had released a record called perfect pitch black. And so with JR sidelined and and the band wanting to do something to push the record and tour in support of it. Um, that's when the conversation with Ben came up and Ben had been playing in a band with Adam McGrath of Kaven. Um, it was an early version of uh, what became the band clouds and, uh, yeah. So I, I think all these dots were kind of getting connected and, and that's ultimately how Ben ended up in, you know, behind the drums with Caven for, uh, you know, this tour cycle and this record. Um, and in that process, we wrote a couple new songs. Um, we wrote a song called Shapeshifter and another song called Dead Already. And we recorded those renegade rehearsal space style on a four track machine and put them onto a, a single. And we sold that on these tours and, uh, yeah, so this was the start of this sort of creative relationship that, uh, that I had with Ben and, you know, it was like a jumping point for what became Mutoid Man.
1: Nice. Yeah. I didn't know that Ben lived here at one point. So I was, you know, that, uh, that makes sense that you guys got together then when you got here.
2: Yeah. I, I was very fortunate, um, to, uh, you know, have an opportunity to try to squeeze my gear into that little rehearsal space and, and, super cool of him to invite me. And, you know, um, you know, the early jams that we had were, uh, very much in the vein of, um, where the shapeshifter dead already, cause single sort of left off, uh, which was, which is awesome. You know, there, there's so much fire and energy in the, in those recordings and those songs. And, um, yeah, w- we were just, uh, tracking stuff very, um, humbly, you know, using, iphone voice memo and he had a little laptop with a a microphone and the early stuff we were coming up with uh you know he he would put together just quick little edits of uh arrangement ideas he's such a great arranger um so uh you know he would send me stuff and and i noticed when i uploaded it into itunes when i was still doing that back in 2012 or whatever um. the The artist's name was Narcoleptic Beagle. <laughs> it's like that is great. Okay, so we. I'm in a. I'm in a two piece called Narcoleptic Beagle. Uh, it's this thrashy sort of you know two person thing. I mean, it's about as Brooklyn as it gets. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so when Mutoid Man is coming together,
1: is there anything that you had in mind that you wanted to do differently? from cave In or previous bands? Or, or is there, was there something you wanted to do with this arrangement that you weren't getting from one of the other bands? Or was it just, it just was what it was?
2: Uh, that's an interesting question. I don't know if I thought too much about it. I just sort of let it happen. And I think as a result, it just sort of naturally became different than Cave-In um, and any other project that I have been involved with. Um, certainly, cave In got to a point where... Um, you know, we were overthinking things and, you know, that's something that um, the band has suffered from uh, several times over our trajectory. Um, And so, you know, with Mutoid Man, there wasn't that sense of overthinking things. It was just uh, naturally playing to what Ben's vibe was and, and, and his excitement for things. And, you know, we have a lot of the same reference points as far as, you know, our language for music and making music, um, you know, botch riffs, dead guy parts, a coalesce thing or a Dillinger part, you know, and, uh, you know, this makes perfect sense to us. I mean, for me, it makes far more sense than any like actual music theory, you know, to talk in those terms. Um, so that's how it started. And, um, you know, Ben has a very specific feel and his background is in uh, spastic metal and, and jazz. Uh, so if you, if, if you listen to his playing and, and with that in mind, you can sort of hear those elements, um, you know, just converging <laughs> in a very cool, peculiar way. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and I was just, I was just trying to keep up, you know, uh, really, that was the fun of it was like, uh, we'd come up with a riff in thirteen eight, and we'd play this thing until thirteen eight felt normal. And that was a really cool feeling. And then just when things felt normal, it was like, okay, this riff is broken up into eight and then five. So now that we're comfortable with that, let's come up with another part and throw the five first and then follow the five part with the eight. And my brain would just be all twisted again. And I'd have to, uh, you know, re calibrate my thinking and what my fingers were doing. And um, it was just really exciting and and creative and fun. And, um, you know, again, with Ben being such a great arranger, he would send me these jams that were all sort of cut up in in the formations of of potential songs. And uh, it was like hearing myself playing music again for the first time. It was a real sort of rebirth of um, my sort of my hand at Being creative with heavy music, which is something, like I said, I I felt like I had lost when I was living in Boston shortly before I moved. And with Mutoid Man, I I, I was getting my swagger back and it was something new and exciting. And and we were also referencing uh, Sir Lord Baltimore, which is a band that formed in the late sixties, maybe early seventies, a three piece band from Brooklyn. And they're, they're just incredible. Um, so that band came up quite a bit as far as like, well, here's this cool thing that actually happened here where we are in Brooklyn working on this wild, crazy rock and roll. Um, let's sort of dig up that spirit. Let's try to, you know, we're breathing the same air basically that they did. Um, let's see where that goes. So, you know, just real fun, exciting, cool times for, uh, making music.
1: Yeah, and I'm happy to hear you say, you know, you're you're getting your hand back into heavier music and are excited about that because I felt that too when I first when I heard the first release Helium Head when that made its rounds when you guys were playing like, oh, it's like, oh, Steve is back and he's doing like a heavier thing. Now, yes, Caven was back doing a heavier thing too, but it had been a a few years since White Silence came out. But me personally, I was getting back into this music and discovering a lot of things, so to see you back in this form and doing it was exciting for me on the outside as well.
2: Oh, that's great to hear, man. That's that's very cool. And yeah, Helium Head is the name of a Sir Lord Baltimore song. And, um, ah. you know, we, we just ran with it. You know, we, we got so much inspiration from that band and um, a lot of like proto metal. You know, that, that was a big reference to like Captain Beyond, uh, early Judas Priest. You know, all this stuff was fun to sort of try to dig our our hands in uh, you know, you'd sort of sink our teeth into, but then revert that back to the energy and the wildness of like mid to late nineties, hardcore from the world of hardcore that we spawned from, you know, all the stuff that I referenced earlier, like Dillinger escape plan, botch coalesce dead guy, kiss a Goodbye. Pff, the list goes on. You know, there's so many great bands from that era Threadbare. Um, you know stuff that gets thrown around a lot um as with Caven as well um and, and creative ventures with that band but you know we were really bringing it to the surface and and trying to give it this like seventies proto metal rock and roll swagger
1: yes it, it definitely comes across like Caven occasionally has those uh theatric metal leanings with the big rock riffs but Mutoid Men really took that and ran with it, and I'm happy to hear that we have pretty much the same exact uh, list of influences on the hardcore side as well.
2: <laughs> That's awesome. It's
1: <laughs> great. Yeah. So, um, so you're in Brooklyn. We have the band together. We have a release out. How is it going? How do you feel about it? Is it weird for Caven at all back in Massachusetts? Are they like, hey, why aren't you playing with us? Are you still going up there and playing with them? Like, what,
2: what's the what's the status of all that? that was an interesting time. Um, you know, going back to having conversations with Caleb about his move to LA, um, you know, he was someone that, uh, I sort of opened up to about this whole thing. And, uh, he actually encouraged me to just get lost and living in a new place, you know, because, uh, as I was entertaining the idea pretty heavily, um, you know, as a, as a way of sort of providing reassurance to the guys and Caven I was like look I'll I'll make pilgrim you know I'll make trips up here pilgrimages to <laughs> play music you know uh and yeah. we can keep something going at, at somewhat of a regular pace and Caleb was like listen you know that's cool and all but uh, don't worry about it in fact I would encourage you to just you know really immerse yourself in in New York and and get lost in it and um and he was right you know that was good advice and what ended up happening was uh, a version of Caleb's band Zozobra took shape. Um, it, I guess it would be, if you're counting, it would be maybe the third uh, incarnation of Zozobra, which was essentially Caven without me. Um, and to be honest, that did feel a little weird. Um, you know, those guys came to Brooklyn to make what ended up being the Savage Masters EP. Um, and I, I remember visiting them at the studio that they were working at with Andrew Schneider and hearing playbacks. And I liked what I was hearing, but uh, I I felt like for the first time, maybe since ever knowing those guys, um, or at least, you know, in our relationship um, as Kaven, you know, since 1995, that, um, you know, I was hearing stuff sort of behind a glass in the sense that like, I could only look at it or, uh, you know, I, I couldn't actually touch it or I couldn't uh, have a hand in uh, saying, you know, what if we did this part twice as long or, you know, w- what if this vocal happened here instead of there and, and, and you know, what if we just changed this riff a little bit and I, I had this feeling like I wanted that, I wanted to participate, but uh, it just wasn't available to me and I think also what those guys were experiencing was just this natural thing that happens. Any formation of a band starts to, um, you know, create its own dynamics as sort of interpersonal relationships change. Um, And so uh, without me in the picture, ZoZobra with Adam and JR and Caleb, I mean, they started to have their own thing going on and for better or worse you know they had their own like new conflicts and stuff and and, <laughs> and new weirdness and and but also you know new levels of clo- closeness as well and um so you know when we got together as cavein you know th- these things would sort of carry over and uh so that that was kind of interesting and, and it just created a, a a new dynamic that um we hadn't ever experienced before but you know, it wasn't a huge deal because Caven wasn't super active as a band. I mean, we were getting together just to hang out. You know, I would uh, take trips up um, to New Hampshire for like family parties and get togethers and such or camping trips. Um, so we were still like very socially involved in each other's lives. But uh, yeah, creatively, it was tough. And, and I'm sure being away um From Massachusetts contributed to that, but uh, you know I, I I don't have any regrets, uh, and I think the advice that Caleb gave me was good because it allowed me to fully enjoy or or get the full experience out of whatever it was I was meant to to have um, as a New Yorker for those years. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think. Caven is also in a lot of ways um you know i don't want to say better off because it's it's absolutely fucking horrible that we don't have caleb with us anymore um but you know i'm also a believer that um just time has to play out in a certain way in order for people to sometimes not take things for granted you know and uh I wouldn't say I took Caven for granted during those years, but I think just not being present, um, it was something that I'd built since 1995 and then just not being near it. Like I, like I had been for uh, years of my life. um, It it was, it was strange. It was strange to reflect back on. And uh, so now in 2023, you know, I think having been through all that, uh, the ups and downs of this timeline that we're talking about, um, just makes me appreciate things more.
1: Yes. Hindsight is always twenty twenty. I mean, that's just the way it goes. And yeah, like, uh, difficult things happen, like the passing of Caleb. I hate to turn these types of things into an example because, you know, it's a tragedy and, and we, we feel the feelings and we go through it all. But, but the one benefit is like what you're saying. It, it does put things into perspective for us and, and helps us appreciate things more.
2: Yeah. It's really the, I don't want to say the only way to get through grief, but it is the foundation in a lot of ways of dealing with grief is you have to just go, what can I take from this? Um, And it's a hard question to ask yourself in the throes of it, but it's a necessary one. And so, uh, you know, I, um, I, I sometimes look at those years that I wasn't as present with mixed feelings. Um, But I've learned to just sort of accept things for what they are. And 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 there's so much beautiful stuff that came out of my time in New York, so many great relationships, the formation of Mutoid Man, um, opportunities, um, just a, a, a different way of seeing life, things that Caleb encouraged me to, you know, to seek out um, in the process of uprooting from where i lived since I was, you know, uh, a, a kid, since nineteen seventy-nine, Massachusetts, you know, that's that's what it had been for me. So so I'm thankful to him uh for encouraging me to 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 make that move and to you know seek out that experience.
1: Absolutely. And uh Mutoid Man continued on strong. We had Bleeder in 2015. We had Warmones in 2017 and we know you did plenty of playing out and touring as well. At what point does Kaven start working on material again? I guess you guys had some material that eventually became Final Transmission, right?
2: Yeah, that is correct. Final Transmission is essentially all the most listenable, most cohesive pieces of work that we had recorded with Caleb between White Silence and his passing.
1: How many times did you guys get together while Caleb was still alive up until 2018? Like, how long... How often had you been working on material?
2: We had this whole thing where we tried doing a remote recording, you know, years before COVID and you know, years before yeah. everybody started, you know, buying home recording gear and shit. Um <laughs> uh so this was just born more out of the um the idea of trying to be creative with me in New York. Um and that yielded some interesting results. Not all of them were necessarily great but the one song that we all came together on in that little experiment is a song called Lunar Day from the final transmission record and closer to the end of 2017 uh we got together once in December December of 2017 and we worked on what became the songs Strange Reflection and Lanterna and then we got together in the new year um to just hang out. Um actually I think that was the year before. Man, my timeline is so scrambled. Um <laughs> COVID just made everything so confusing. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh just very, very weird time scramble. Um but uh yeah, in twenty eighteen, it was February of that year that we got together again and we recorded what became four more songs on the final transmission record. The basically the the four songs, the four full band songs that lead off that record. So, yeah, I mean there was certainly like a gap of time where we weren't actively doing the band in the traditional way, but yeah, we had the remote thing for a minute, um and we were still just getting together to hang out and and do fun cool shit whether it was outdoors or, you know, um uh, birthdays. And, you know, I mentioned New Year's, you know, we got together, I think it was New Year's of 2017 or something. We hung out in, you know, of all places, uh, Adam's younger brother's basement. And, and that was a super fun time. Um, so yeah, we were still very close.
1: When's the last time you saw Caleb? When's the
2: last time you spoke to him? Uh, the last time I saw Caleb was that time that I mentioned in February. Um where we got together for a weekend and recorded those four songs, which ended up on final transmission. Um, I did speak to him once after that. And, uh, it, it was maybe about a week before he passed. Yeah. And it was a quick conversation, but, um, I do remember he was in his truck and he was driving his kids to, uh, a music class, maybe I think uh, piano, piano lessons. I think, but yeah, it was just a quick call.
1: Yeah, that that was a major loss. I don't know you guys personally. I didn't know Caleb personally, but even I felt that once news of that came out. So I can only imagine what you guys went through and still go through because grief is not a linear process.
2: No, it's certainly very layered, and you know, it's like a ninja. It just kind of creeps out of nowhere and kicks you all over again, and it can be the most uh, uh, unassuming thing that can trigger it. And um, so learning about this, which is something they don't teach you in school, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> uh, it, it was certainly, you know, a life lesson, as they say.
1: How much did Final Transmission change? I guess you had to finish that up after Caleb had died. Did you, Did it, a lot change? Did you have to record any more stuff?
2: Well, again, the the whole concept of that record was rounding up bits that we had done with caleb you know the most listenable things the most cohesive things and Mm -hmm. yeah certainly um after he passed um we scrounged up what we could of these moments that we had had together which uh you know it it was meant to be the start of a a writing a new caven record and it was it was actually caleb who kind of came up with this um this mission statement of, of what a new Cabin record in, uh, you know, 2017, it was 2017 at the time, um, what that would sound like. So, uh, you know, you're just hearing the beginnings of what we were trying to accomplish, you know, through his vision. And, you know, the idea was always to go to a studio and to record with a, you know, an engineer or several engineers and, and, and do it quote unquote proper you know, the, the way that, the way that we had done, you know, prior to White Silence. And, um, as fun as White Silence was, you know, it was, it was challenging, you know, we were recording in a rehearsal space and, you know, it's a weird sounding record for that reason. It's not traditionally quote unquote good, (laughs) but, uh, (laughs) you know, it's wild and it's nasty and it's feral. And, um, I think it's cool for that reason. Um,
1: that, and you know what, uh, Sing My Loves is now my all time favorite cave-in song. So that came from it. So you I mean you guys, you just continually
2: put out great content. So we have that at least. Absolutely. I mean, that is, hands down, one of the greatest Caven songs ever written. Um, so yeah, I mean, Final Transmission is what it is because it was born out of necessity. Um, and and we just were trying to do everything that we could at the time to raise money for um the Schofields, you know, Caleb's surviving family. And we knew that um, we could put this record out and it would be like getting to spend time with Caleb in a way, not just for yes. us, but, you know, for, for fans and, you know, fans of his music and fans of the band. So we um, we put it out and we raised some money for the family. And uh, it exists as a very unique document in, in the world of Caven for that reason.
1: Yes, and in terms of a record, nothing to scoff at either. Some of my favorite cave-in songs, Shake My Blood, easily a top 10 song from you guys.
2: Oh, thanks, man. Uh, that's another Caleb song, you know. Uh, that's just a beautiful piece of music that um, that he wrote, and we put it together um, at, at that Hangout recording session we did in February 2018. And uh, that was basically his introduction to um, this really wonderful open tuning that we call Secret C that we've written a lot of material in. And just the sound and the tonality of that, that tuning, you know, it, it reminds us of him. I love that. So Kaven
1: went on to release Heavy Pendulum in 2022. So that is our first proper studio album in quite a while. So that must have felt good, right? I've had Adam on the show and he talked about some of that process. But it, it has to be bittersweet. On one hand, we're together, we're back in the studio, we're, we're releasing a kick-ass record. But on the other hand, Caleb is not here.
2: Yeah, that's true. Um, that's something we all felt. And, you know, Nate played Caleb's bass on the record. There were several times during the writing process where I was asking myself, what would Caleb do here? <laughs> um, how might he approach something? Um, you know, musically, lyrically. And, you know, going back to what I said earlier about his mission statement from 2017, he wanted the band to go back into the studio to make a record. And with Heavy Pendulum, we felt like in a way we were fulfilling that vision.
1: So how do we know when it's time to put together a new Mutoid Man record? When does it happen? How does it happen?
2: Uh, That's a great question. I mean, it's been six years since the Warmones record, which came out in 2017. Uh, mm-hmm. It's been a wild and weird six years <laughs> uh, for a number of reasons um, and lots of ups and downs with that band. Um, but Ben and I, I think where we came together in the ups and downs through the good and the bad um, was knowing that um, we were sitting on lots of great material that had just potential to be another Mutoid Man record. Um, you know, the band was so active during the Bleeder years and the Warmones era, uh, touring on those records. Uh, we were all still living in New York at that time. Uh, so we were a, a fully functioning band. And between that and um, all the stuff we were doing with Two Minutes to Late Night, we just always had... A reason to get together, you know, um, it was a super busy time for that band. And, and so in the process, we were always just documenting little jams, uh, little riff ideas, uh, song ideas, uh, in all shapes and sizes as, as we did these things, you know, on the road or at our rehearsal space or at St. Vitus in the middle of, you know, doing takes for, uh, filming the show two minutes to late night. So, yeah, it was just a matter of things lining up where we could truly focus on honing the material. And with all the stuff that went down between 2017 and the making of the Mutants album in uh, the beginning of 2022, ah, it's, it was it, it was just a real <laughs> slippery beast, you know, trying to wrangle this thing. How so? Oh, well, for, for a number of reasons. I mean... The, the big one was Caleb passing um, and, you know, my focus shifting back to Caven, just putting the wheels back on the band to do the benefit shows and and the final transmission record to raise money for the family. And, you know, it, it was just necessary for a number of reasons. And, and, you know, we all sort of powered through our grief by Caven being an active thing again. And um, it, it was truly, you know, necessary. I, I just I can't think of any other word. To, to describe what we were doing at that at that point, um, so yeah, a lot of bandwidth, a lot of attention going into that, and then you know when things started to settle down a little bit, um, we experienced a personnel change in the band. Um, it's something that we slowly saw coming, um, you know, towards I, I would say like the end of. 2018 going into 2019. And, uh, we could just see that Nick was struggling being on the road and there were certain actions that sort of prompted some real questions between Ben and I as to, you know, whether or not this was truly sustainable with Nick. And, you know, as I say this, uh, it was really tough because, you know, uh, you know, I talk about wonderful relationships that. um, that I made moving to New York and Nick is he's up there on the top of the list. I mean, just a wonderful guy. One of the funniest people that I've ever met um, and just goes above and beyond to help his loved ones and his friends. And, you know, the band wouldn't be what it is without Nick. Um, He just Mm -hmm. truly just shaped it with his playing and his personality and, you know, he really lit a fire under my ass and Ben's. And, you know, he he was excited. He, he, he wanted to play loud and fierce. And it was everything that that band needed, you know. Um, so, you know, we saw what being on the road as much as we had been was doing to him. And, um, you know, he just functions better, I think, not in a constantly changing environment away from home. Right. And, um, you know, he was just acting out in certain ways that, uh, we, we just knew that something was going to have to change in order for us to continue doing the band as a sustainable touring thing. And that prompted a very difficult conversation with Nick, um, at the, uh, I think it was the summer of, uh, 2019. And, uh, so that pushed things back. Um, uh, how did that
1: go? Uh, do you guys still talk? Is it okay now? I'm sure it was difficult at the time of the conversation.
2: It was difficult. Um, Nick and I, uh, we had some tough moments uh, on the road uh, at the beginning of 2019. And we we were both living in Greenpoint at that time. So it was easy to get together. And I just hit him up and we, we took a walk around Transmitter Park. And I, I just... You know I had the uh I may have nominated myself, but it was also you know convenient <laughs> that we lived basically just a couple blocks away from each other to have a face to face about where things were headed and uh and I was the one that delivered the news that um you know hey man i I just don't think this is working, and you know I think we're gonna have to ask you to leave the band. And it was tough, you know, I I can't remember the last time I had that conversation with somebody, you know, thankfully it hasn't happened in a long time. And there was a period with Kaven that where it felt like, you know, the band was this revolving door of bass players and vocalists, you know, but that was, that was like years ago, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, I was a teenager, <laughs> you know, like the <laughs> last time that I had to ask someone to leave a band. Um Yeah. So, yeah, not a fun conversation. Um, but Nick took it well and I think Nick was also looking to make a change in his life. And Nick, I got a hand it to him, you know, he understood that sometimes you got to lose things in order to gain something else and uh I think he did everything in his power to, you know, quote unquote man up <laughs> and to just face whatever he was looking to work on. Uh as uh as an opportunity and that was the opportunity that was the that was the the point like it, it wasn't going to get any lower than that like losing you know a fully functioning awesome you know wild rock and roll band you know right and so we we still keep in touch um you know it, he's always sending me funny videos to check out and you know <laughs> uh <laughs> he's he's constantly just making me laugh from afar and um and his writing, uh his just awesome neoclassical like bass upstroke thing that he he brought to the band. Um you can still hear that on Mutants. Um Siren Song really bears his mark. Um parts of uh, broken glass ceiling. Uh we worked on Call of the Void together. Um yeah. Uh th- th- Nick Caggio's vibe And his whole thing is still very present on mutants, which is super cool.
1: Nice. Yeah. He's got to have the chops to keep up with you and Ben, right?
2: We all pushed each other, you know? I mean, it was funny. You know, we, we, we were thinking, um, when we first met Nick, he actually mixed a two piece show that Ben and I did, which was like arguably the first mutoid man show before, you know, we were like a full three piece band but it was just Ben and I on stage at Vitus just blowing off some steam, <laughs> playing this wild, <laughs> wacky shit that we were writing in his rehearsal space, you know, before we even had a name. So Nick mixed that show. And I think we actually had a conversation that night where he he approached us and was like, hey, you know, if if you guys ever need a bass player, just hit me up. And I don't remember if he had mentioned that he was a uh, a cellist or a stand-up bass player or something, or if that was like his primary instrument, but... For some reason we had it in our minds that um we were being approached by um the, the sound guy the the main sound guy at, at Vitus, you know, the the head front of house there um who is a cello player. So all right, I guess maybe we should try adding cello to this band, <laughs> you know, it just <laughs> you know, let's make it Brooklyn and weird, you know. Uh but um no, it turned out that he was a, a just a, an incredible bass player. Um so um you know, we were better off for it. So we have
1: Mutants coming out later this month. We must be excited about that, right? And everyone, Call of the Void, the single and video is out there now so we can listen to that while we wait for the whole record to come out.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm super stoked on this record. Um, It's very much a Mutoid Man record. If you love the band, there's no reason why you won't love this record as well. But uh, there are some differences. Obviously, the big one being Jeff Matz in the band. Yes. At what point does he join and how? That's that's something else I
1: wanted to ask about. Jeff Matz from uh, High on Fire, yes? That's
2: correct, yeah. Um, So uh, at the time when we were going through uh, the transition with Nick no longer being in the band, um, Ben was still sidelined at that point with an elbow injury, and so... Uh, The two tours that the band did at the beginning of 2019 were with Chris Maggio on drums. And at the time, Chris was also playing in high and fire. And um, you know, when things were going down the way that they did with Nick um, you know, Chris being just a great friend and someone who uh, cares about the band and um, you know, cares about us uh, was like, Hey, you know, I don't know if this is my place to say, but if you guys are looking for a bass player, he's like, I think Jeff would be a great fit. He's a musical phenom in his own right. He's incredibly devoted to just playing music. I mean, that guy lives and breathes playing music. Um, And I think Chris understood the stamina that especially Ben and I have for, you know, honing riffs, songs, uh, you know, practicing, rehearsing, uh, just doing weird, fun exercises to make rehearsals interesting, you know, playing shit at double speed <laughs> as if, the, <laughs> as if these songs aren't wild and fast enough. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I think Chris just was trying to connect the dots, um, in a helpful way. And, you know, I didn't know Jeff. Um, I, I had maybe met Jeff once or twice in years past, um, maybe just, uh, quickly on the road, um, you know, like just passing through as 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 we often do um you know, whether it was a venue or a festival or a club or whatever, but um it turns out that Jeff was interested I mean Chris kind of made it all happen um you know he he sort of set everything in motion, and uh you know that prompted a conversation with Jeff over the phone, and um I just got a great vibe from him, and I love the idea of like injecting some um uh, west coast into this salty east coast thing that ben and i had going um and you know jeff is a, a creative force in high and high on fire you know he writes a lot of stuff and you know uh, he, he plays all kinds of instruments uh stringed instruments on the recording so i just felt like well this could be great you know and um so we arranged to get together and that happened, uh, at the beginning of March of 2020, we, we got together for like four or five days at Ben's rehearsal studio in LA. Cause you know, he's living in LA now. So, um, we got together and we set up a little recording rig and just to document what was going to happen. And we said, Hey, all right, we got our, we got all our gear going here. Um, why don't we just hit record and just make sure that all the sounds are what they should be. And we're not blowing out any mic signals or you know, whatever. Uh, let's just see what happens. And so we did. And then 15 minutes later, we stopped the recording and we're just like, what the hell was that? You know, we had just had this like impromptu jam. It was sort of like freeform proto metal, a little bit of surf rock, definitely some classic rock. And it was so fun and transformative. And just, like I said, time just sort of disappeared in the coolest way. And the ways that you want time to disappear when you, are just lost in music um right it was just a like a fantastic way to like introduce jeff into the band and for the band to like you know uh kick things off with a with a new a new person I, it was it was like wow that was super fun and cool and and so we just started working on new music uh right there and then and then of course fucking COVID happens you know so to go back <laughs> to like what happened what what was sidelining the band well you know this this thing called the pandemic certainly you know had its say uh, oh, and yeah. how much we could and couldn't do i mean we were all spread out you know i was still living in new york at the time and you know like i said ben was in la and, and jeff lives in vancouver oregon you know just outside of portland so um you know, that, that threw things on hold again.
1: Well, the good news is we got the new Cave-In record, and we've got the new Mutoid Man record coming out, so now we've got it all.
2: Yeah, man. I, uh, I'm i really stoked. I'm uh, It's been just a great wave of creativity and uh, musicianship for everybody involved in these bands. Um, and I'm glad that Mutoid gets to put out a document of music with Jeff, you know, Um it it's really rewarding and 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 now with Nate and, and with Caven you know it's like uh this it's like fresh bass player one oh one you know you, you get the <laughs> this new vibe for for both bands and um you know it, it's all built upon things that Caleb built with Caven and what mutoid man and Nick built together um so you know, it's new stuff resting upon what's already just a great foundation for both bands.
1: That's awesome, yeah. And that's that's Grammy award winning Jeff Matz now. So now you're a Grammy adjacent Mutoid man.
2: Oh, it feels great. You know, uh, <laughs> any minute now, any minute that hit song is just going to come out of nowhere, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll have one to put on my toilet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, we're winding down here, but I want to ask uh, some Caven Lore questions in the end here if I may. Okay. Until your heart stops, how shortly before the recording did Dave leave?
2: Uh, well, he and Caleb were like ships passing in the night, you know, Caleb joined the band and then we played maybe two shows together as a five-piece with Dave and I, I want to say March of 1998 maybe February, but it was, it was one of the two months where um, Dave was no longer in the band and we were scratching our heads going, okay, we're a four piece now. And we've got this recording just um, three months away, (laughs) Uh, two months away, actually, if it's March. Okay. uh, This is scary. (laughs) Uh, and, And these guys were going, listen, man, you got this, just lower the mic stand, assume a James Hetfield stance and, you know." You can do it. Uh they were super encouraging of me just fronting the band. And so uh yeah, yeah. It it was like I said, March, February, sometime around then.
1: And how much work did you have to do ahead of that recording now as the frontman? Did you have to rewrite parts of songs? Did you have to write all the lyrics? Like how much did you
2: do? You know, the song arrangements didn't change very much. But uh yeah, I was sort of turning my brain off to I would say, 70% of the areas of music where vocals should have gone. And in my mind, I just wanted to leave that to Dave. And so when Dave was no longer in the band, it was a mad scramble. Um, And once we started rehearsing as a four-piece, I just got on the mic and I I probably was just screaming nonsense, sounds of all kinds, just to figure out what I could and couldn't do like what I could say or what I could vocalize with my fingers doing this riff or playing this part you know where that shouldn't happen and if it was going to happen like how many syllables did I have uh, this yeah. section you know it was it was that that's how it went back then but luckily you know being in college I was taking a creative writing class and as a result I just had all kinds of shit written from these assignments and papers and such. And I was able to just throw it all up in the air. And, and, and as it landed, I could just pull this line or grab this thought or insert this theory or these words into this, like I said, a 70% template of emptiness that needed vocals or in my mind needed vocals. Um so that that's really how it happened. It was a fucking chaotic, wild two months, to be perfectly honest. But that's probably why the record sounds as crazy as it does, you know? Well, hey, you pulled it off. Something happened. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so while Antenna was out, while you were on RCA, you know, when, when Adam was on the show, he mentioned the last major label type tour you did was with Muse, and you're playing like big venues. And I know Kaven also toured with Foo Fighters at one point. Now, I know you guys got burnt out on that whole experience and just didn't want to do it anymore and started cycling old songs back into the set. But could you have kept going with that if you wanted to? Like, could you have done another record with RCA? Could you have kept doing those support roles on these big tours? Like, could you have conceivably kept
2: doing that stuff? Yes and no. Um, I say yes because we ultimately approached the label about getting dropped because when we were finally assigned with another A&R person after several months of having nobody allocated to represent the band at the label, we had upwards of like a million dollar price tag on our heads between getting signed and tour support and the recording and all the expenses that just came with being a major label band at that time. So, it wasn't like anyone was jumping at the chance to represent the band, you know. We were this like tainted thing, you know, in the eyes of <laughs> the major label world. Um, we were essentially a commercial failure, you know. I mean, the honeymoon was over. So, if we had stayed on the label, we could have continued working with our then A&R person, but it really would have been an uphill battle. And uh, yeah, um, I don't think it was something any of us had the energy to do and our manager at the time was supportive of us getting dropped so i mean she was like our point of contact she was like our connect to that world and if she's supporting the idea of getting dropped then you know there was there was really no reason to stay right because yeah i mean if she's fighting against it that says one thing but if she's like yeah probably a good idea then you know come on. Absolutely. And we were begging them for tour support by the end. I mean, we had to fly to New York specifically for a meeting with RCA. I think it was probably in the middle of a tour, if I remember correctly. It was like on a day off where we, we flew to RCA to basically beg them for tour support to go on tour with Muse. And... Um, you know, it, it it wasn't just like money was being thrown around willfully at that point. You know, we had to ask for it. And uh, the Inspire video that we made, the fact that we came up with this treatment, I mean, it was Caleb's idea, but the treatment was such that, um, you know, we're breaking into a music store to film a music video and we leave with their surveillance footage. That's true. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> We did get money from RCA to make that video, but the concept is very reflective of what we were dealing with at the time. Like, wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, like if we hadn't begged them for money to like basically have somewhat of a budget to make a video, I mean, we probably would have had to have done that in real life to come out with something, you know, like, uh, so again, just brilliantly executed idea. And and again, you know, just very, very reflective of what we were dealing with at the time. So um, I think we made the right move. It was born out of necessity. And um, it it did push us to get back in touch with ourselves uh, as as painful as it was in some ways, you know, with our tails between our legs. But like, you know, shortly after getting dropped, we did one of the best tours that we had done in a long time. And and that's saying a lot because, you know, the Muse tour was great for what it was, but like, we didn't actually feel like we were truly connecting with people until, um, you know, we went out with Converge, supporting them while they were doing um, a tour uh, shortly after the release of You Fail Me. Mm-hmm. And it was like, those guys were sort of like, hey, all right, come back, come back to this world, you know, lick your wounds. <laughs> you know, play for your fans again. And uh, it's all going to be okay, you know, and uh, that was truly a great tour. Um, that's where we re- re- really reconnected with ourselves uh, and our fans at the same time. I think Lollapalooza in 2003 was the start of us reconnecting with ourselves, reintroducing, you know, stuff from Until Your Heart Stops and just, you know, the the sets getting a little bit more diversified, a little bit more interesting again. So uh, yeah, crazy time.
1: Well, it's good to have you back. When I was younger, I I was initially, I mean, I'm talking like 17 years old. I was a, a little upset when you guys changed sound because I was like, how could my favorite band do this? But but if you if you pull the, you know, and eventually I came back around because now I'm old and I don't care. Like, you guys can do no wrong in my eyes. But, but when you pull the lens back, right, I really don't think you changed all that much. Jupiter is still heavy, right? And uh, you, I mean, we, we can always hear you in whatever album it is. I hope so.
2: Um, it was exciting back then to make these wild left turns and yeah surprise people and, and work with the element of surprise. Um, just surprise in itself, you know, can be a real powerful thing. And we took that to the max, you know, we, we pushed it to its limit with our abilities and, um, you know, it was, it was fun and exciting. And in some ways it bit us in the ass and we recognize that now. But um, yeah, these are all expressions of freedom that I think every artist should feel enticed to explore because um, it's ultimately their own, you know? Yes. And, And it's important to establish that, you know? The reason I ever picked up a guitar in the first place was to just hear sound, hear what sound will be like emanating from this instrument that I'm holding. You know, and it's uh, it, it, there was this element of control. It was something that I was seeking. It's something that I still seek to this day, um, and I hope it never goes away. And there's a freedom in that, and you know, freedom comes in a lot of weird ways when it when it comes to the world of music. And as long as you're doing it with your friends, and your friends are on board, and you're all together you know uh if the ship is going to sail then it sails gloriously with everybody on deck and if it sinks then at least you're all sinking together and uh you know <laughs> the that that's the best way to die <laughs> uh, as as far as like killing a creative endeavor but um that's the thing i look back on these experiences and i'm i'm with my friends so uh how bad could it be
1: exactly and i think caven in- in our world of music is one of, if not the most influential bands out there because the the risks you took and the things you did, a lot of people followed in your example. What do you think of that?
2: I think that's cool. Um, I think bands have maybe followed in our example. And what I love to see is is where they don't suffer the pitfalls that we did. And they... um, you know they reach these places that are super cool and exciting and i love bands that uh they also take the same risks that we did and and maybe they don't have the the same type of luck but it's the fact that they tried and if we're any reference point to you know either side of the coin right the band that um they look at kaven as an example of what not to do and the other side of the coin being you know the example of the things that um you should do but maybe you know you, you just don't have the same luck or whatever it's all good and it's all exciting and and it it's validating it 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 proves like okay shit people were listening you know like this all wasn't for just ourselves which in the end if it was i mean there's something beautiful about that too because i i have some of my best memories playing music um you know just rehearsing you know or or just in a practice space or before I could even drive, you know, when I was getting rides to, um, you know, go play music with JR and, in, in in the attic of, of, of his grandparents' place. And, you know, it was just the ecstasy of playing music with a live drummer for the first time. And it was just he and I, you know, maybe his neighbors heard us, but, you know, <laughs> you know, they didn't sign up for it. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, th- there's, there's a real joy in that too. So, um, you know, it's all just a reward on top of of that, really. You know, if other people get something out of this, then that's just awesome.
1: That's great. That's great. So a reminder to everyone, Mutants, the latest LP from Mutoid Man will be out by the time you hear this. So we got to go pick that up. But Steve, is there any other uh, cave-in shows or Mutoid Man tours or anything else coming up that we want to alert the people to? In the end, here,
2: sure, yeah. Caven has some dates overseas in Europe, uh, starting at uh, August seventeenth, I think, at Arc Tangent Festival, which is a great festival that Mutoid Man played several years ago. Got awesome memories um, from that rainy, wild day. <laughs> um, and then uh, shortly after that, we got a Mutoid Man tour in Europe, so Europe gets to see a lot of me, um, and those Mutoid Man dates are. For most of September, we'll be supporting the new record. Super exciting. Get to play all that stuff live for the first time. Um, really lay into it. And um, and then from here on out, you know, Caven's got uh, two shows with the recently reunited Botch, which will be super oh, fun. Oh, that's right. Yeah. 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 So um, and Converge is on the bill. So, you know, I mean, it's about as like... 90s as it gets you know that's a dream show right there everybody
1: if you can get to one of those shows i mean come on what are we doing
2: (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i would have gone either way you know i just (laughs) i just happen to be playing so uh that's that's (laughs) man that's super cool and bonus and um yeah maybe some other stuff coming up too but um you know that that's that's pretty much everything that's been announced and um yeah, it's all it's all looking like a great way to wrap up the, the rest of the year, 2023. So I'm super stoked.
1: Awesome. Well, I'm excited. And Steve, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. And, you know, Caven is largely responsible for getting me into all this music in the first place. So thank you for that. And thank you for your time. And thank you for coming on the show.
2: Hey, thanks, Keith. And thank you to anyone who's made it this far listening. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs>
1: And there you have it. Steven Brodsky. Wow. Wow, great conversation. You know, Tommy, I was looking forward to this one a lot. I would say more than any other band on the show. I was looking forward to talking to someone from Caven the most because there was so many specific questions I had about their history that I did not know before. So when I had Adam on the show, I covered all the deep dive Caven stuff I was curious about. Recording until your heart stops how they decided to change their sound, when they did it, the major label experience, everything after that, you know, final transmission, heavy pendulum, all that, all of my questions got answered. So when we landed Steven for the show, I wanted to get the other piece that I didn't know about, right? When did he move to New York? Why did he move to New York? How did Mutoid Man get formed? What was that all about? What were his feelings about that? Was there things he wanted to do differently? And then, you know, just all the extra cave talk on top of that yeah. was just a bonus. I mean, you know, hearing about uh, more about Final Transmission and how they dealt with things after the tragic passing of Caleb and at the end there where Steve was talking about the the major label experience on RCA and how they had to, you know, when that didn't work out, they had to kind of come back and eat some humble pie and just reintegrate into things. Because you remember, like... It was kind of rough for them because they were off on the the space rock journey, and that's what they were doing. And I remember when they started playing older stuff again, and when they came back again, like, some people were kind of nasty to them. Like, remember Buddyhead, that website? Oh, my God, yeah. Holy they were brutal,
0: yeah. I haven't heard that name in forever. Actually, it was funny. I actually just looked through a bunch of old flyers I had downstairs when I was cleaning shit out, and Buddyhead was a bunch of stuff that uh, had booked a bunch of those shows.
1: Yeah, but you know they came back and they started doing their thing again, and some people were like, "Oh yeah, you said you were done, and now you're back." But I'm glad they're back, and now we're older. Caven is just Caven. Like I was telling Steve, they can do no wrong in my eyes. I love everything they've done. And everything they've done is just indistinguishably them, no matter what it is, if it's heavier, if it's not heavier, it doesn't matter. So I was just thrilled to have the opportunity to have Steve on the show.
0: Yeah, I still listen to a lot of antenna. Uh, like I like an antenna a lot, um, stained silver, youth override, I like. Um, but I, I mean, I do go back to until your heart stops, like that kind of stuff more often than not, especially like the. the even before that, the beyond hypothermia stuff uh, more often than not, especially because I, when I use music now, I use music as like a motivator, like I'm driving to work and I need to get something like, you know, off my chest or I, I want to listen to something that kind of frees my mind. And I, I feel like Caven is that perfect blend of like heavy and kind of space. Especially with Until Your Heart Stops, like you hear those things where you just go, that is the perfect blend of just that kind of like brutal breakdown and that space rock kind of noodling that they do. It's, yeah, they do it so well. Like there's not many people out there in this world that can do that.
1: When I listen to Cave-In now, I'm strictly in Jupiter and forward territory now. Can you believe it? Really? Yeah. Yeah. See, now it's like when I had Kurt from Converge on the show, you know, I entertained the idea of the Converge Classics Tour. And yes, it would be fun to see those songs again. But when I listen to Converge, I listen to Gene Doe and Forward. And now with Caven, I'm in the same territory. I start with Jupiter and I'm listening to stuff from Jupiter and Forward.
0: Hmm. Yeah. That's where I'm at. I think to a certain extent, I mean, Heavy Pendulum has a couple tracks that I'm like, I do i go back to New Reality. Like, I like that the That's a modern classic. That is so good, that song. It's a great song. And the the structure of it in general, just, it really is, it just proves how much those guys are just not, it wasn't a fluke that they became famous. Like, like they're just really smart and well-thought-out musicians. Like, it's really great stuff. Mutoid Man, no slouches either. When I was
1: piecing this all together, I went back and listened to their debut EP, which hooked me on them. And it was great hearing Steve talk about just the how they were pushing themselves to play in like 13-8 and all these weird time signatures. And I, So I went back and li- they have a song called Friday the 13th 8 <laughs> <laughs> on the first release. So I went back and listened to that and I was like, oh my God, like these guys are onto to something else. And, you know, the new record, uh, Nothing to be Scoffed at from Mutoid Man, they're doing great things too. The the
0: guy can't miss. I I just thought it was incredible like how he was saying like, yo, like Mutoid Man started as like a two piece and then Nick was doing the sound work. <laughs> Yeah. And was like, hey, if you guys need a bass player, I'm like, holy shit, <laughs> just stumble ass backwards into like the best band ever. Like, it's unreal. Remember Steve said he thought that
1: Nick was a cellist? Yes. <laughs> and they, they're like, okay, I guess we'll have a cellist
0: in the band. I think he can do upright bass on some of these parts, I guess. <laughs> like,
1: oh, that was that was so good. But yeah, really stoked to have Steve on the show. And look, we didn't even get to talk about like two minutes to late night, being in quicksand, like everything else he's up to. So maybe at a later time. Yeah. But uh, really stoked to have Steve on the show. Been waiting for that one for a long time. So thank you so much, Steve, for coming on the show. Now, Tommy. Yeah. We have to talk about something very important. (laughs) Okay. Us. (laughs) (laughs) How are we doing? Now, first, all right. So first, I have some very important questions for you. Okay. Yes. All right. And when we last left off, you know, we had you back on the show and we were talking about our lives post you being on the show. And you said you stopped listening to the music for a while because it was too painful and there was too much association with the podcast, right? Yeah. Okay. So have you since gotten over that? Have you eased back into the world of this music? Yes. Yeah.
0: Okay. That's great to hear. Uh, The super heavy stuff I'm I'm pretty decent with. I will say this. (laughs) I still have not listened to Caspian or Hammock. Oh. <laughs> that, that, that brings up some stuff where I'm like, "Ugh, oh, Jesus Christ. I'm getting mad.
1: It's like we're ex-lovers. Like, yeah. you can't listen to my bands. That's crazy, right? Yeah,
0: I, I really do. And I think um, I, 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 especially with Caspian, I had so much fun with Philip talking to him. Yes. And I remember the kind of buzz I had, like, almost like I had, like, a couple shots, like, I was like, when we were done that interview, I was like, oh my God, like that was incredible. Like That guy was fucking phenomenal. He told crazy stories. He was relatable. He was funny. He was engaging. He talked about the recording part. Like, it was just everything I wanted from talking to musicians. And I'm like, and I'm doing this from my basement.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, in the early days when we would reach out to bands and they would actually say yes and come on the show, that was like the biggest high.
0: It really did. It it made my week. Like I would literally the whole week, people at work would be like, "Hey, you seem extra happy." I'm like, I can't explain to you who I talk to or how I talk to them. <laughs> 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 However, just know that it was really fun and uh, I had a great time. Okay, next question. Yeah,
1: you really weren't listening to the show too much post leaving, right? Because again, too many
0: painful memories. Are you listening to the show more now? Um, I listened to the cave-in episode. I listened to the Converge episode. I haven't really caught up on a bunch of stuff. I, I'm, I, that's pretty much where I'm at. What is it like listening to the show now? Is it still weird? No, absolutely not. No, it's, it's like listening to a regular podcast. <laughs> it's it's really nice. I'm like, Oh, this is fun. Like I'm listening to somebody I talk about music. This is great. Like it's engaging. And, and, you know, um, I think one of the big things I, I took away from like, w- you know, stepping back from the show was like, there's not the pressure of being here on time, having things to talk about researching the bands. Like that's an it's, a, it's another thing I don't have to worry about when I have a lot of things to worry about normally <laughs> like, <Yep>. at home <laughs> like, yep. just with like little things like you know we got a new refrigerator like you know like that's you know hooking up the water lines to the fridge like all right shit now i'm gonna fucking learn plumbing like oh like, and i have to like look up you know some band and like listen to like all their you know like at least be somewhat familiar with their catalog that i think uh is huge for me but i think especially with just listening to podcast in general I, I feel like it goes so i hate to say this it goes well without me <laughs> it doesn't uh, i don't think I added or detracted anything from the show
1: <laughs> no, I was no and so. don't don't say you don't say you didn't add anything because that's not true
0: <laughs> i was uh i I'm, what's midway between acid and base so the i i'm zero p h that I, <laughs> see that's what
1: you add that's a very tommy uh joke right there and that's uh you know i don't do as much funny stuff anymore because it would be weird to do it by myself you know like we, when i had you here that would be the dynamic like i would i would like throw something against the wall and then you would react to it but when there's no one here to react to it it's uh you know <laughs> uh, but listen tommy i have some uh listener submitted questions here the listeners are very curious about what you up what you are up to so Here we go. Number one, Tommy, do you still buy all of your clothing at Costco?
0: Pants, yes. I buy all my pants, all my khakis and like dress pants come from Costco. I buy most of my t-shirts from eBay. (laughs) I I, I like that canvas tri-blend ones. I I buy those a lot. But yeah, the vast majority of my clothing comes from, it, it, it is Kirkland brand or they sell it at Costco.
1: The next listener submitted question, I think, has already answered itself. Are you still constantly trying to find ways to save money? And it sounds like yes. Yes.
0: Here's one thing (laughs) I have not saved money on. Kelly bought a new car. Yes. And I was not happy. Why? Because we paid over what you should pay for a new car. You never buy a new car. You don't buy new cars. That's what you do. You don't buy new cars. You drive it off the lot, it's worth thirty percent less than what you paid for it.
1: Yeah, but in in true Tommy fashion, wouldn't you have bought some jank uh used car and then you know it doesn't work and then 100%. she gets mad at you and makes you have to return it and then we're delayed weeks because you bought the microphone from some store we never heard of and I just told you to buy it from Best Buy and <laughs> then like we had to wait for it to come back. And, <laughs> oh wait, I'm mixing up stories. Well, you see where I'm going with this.
0: Yeah. No. Um That's the only thing that I've actually caught myself being like, you know what? I don't care. Actually, let me rephrase that. I let Kelly pick out the refrigerator that she wanted. Yes. And I didn't care about cost. Yeah. However, it was purchased from Costco.
1: (laughs) So basically, as long as everything is purchased from Costco, that you are okay with. Yeah. Because you know you're getting a deal.
0: I know that they have the low price guarantee. And if I don't like it, I can just take it back to the store and it's done.
1: See, look, you're back and we're just right back onto Costco. There's no, 100%. there's no, no, there's no getting away from it. But Tommy, I, <laughs> I uh, you know, people ask about you, you know, I was, t- I was with my friend and his wife and she listened to the show when we were both still doing it. And she was asking about you and like, She was talking about Costco and everything. I was, it was very pleasantly surprised. People ask me sometimes, Tommy, they're like, you know, what happened? Why did Tommy leave? Because they think there's like maybe something more to the story that we told on the air and there's not. I just say, we got into a fight. The fight led to the discussion with your wife. Yeah. You realized the show was taking up too much time and you had to leave.
0: That's it. Yeah. No, that's 100% it. Like, I mean, it was, um, my thing is like, my wife and I are so we're so kind of like nonchalant with each other like because we've known each other for so long we've been around each other for so long uh we do so much for each other that i kept going like all right i'm going downstairs and i kept thinking like all right well that's okay and it really wasn't Um yeah and then finally like after you and i had this kind of fight like i was like talking to kelly about it and she was like yeah i don't like it either because this and i was like oh shit like this is <laughs> not cool because I don't have many things that are consistent in my life, but Kelly is one of those things that is unbelievable. She is unbelievably consistent. And when she was like, yeah, this is an issue for me. And here's the reasons why. And I'm like, why don't you say anything? She's like, because you love it so much. Like you legitimately, when you talk about the show, you're excited. And I'm like, all right, well, I don't have fun things in my life anymore. Like, (laughs) what do I do about this? And she's like, well, Um, you can keep doing it, but just know that from this point forward, like it has to be extraordinarily regimented. It has to be this. And I'm like, yeah, the show can't be that. Like you're dealing with musicians that have timeframes, internet goes out, microphone issues, whatever it is like, this isn't consistent. And she's like, well, then we can't do this. I'm like, okay. And her emphasis on the pronoun of we can't do this. I was like, yeah. All right. This isn't sustainable.
1: Yeah, it uh it takes up a lot of time especially now. Like I look fondly you know what time I look fondly back on even though it was a very very difficult year of, of my life, 2021, right? Okay. We had the show down, we had our groove down. We were getting good guests. We just did one a week every week, right? Some as uh, sometimes we did multiple interviews during the week, but it was week to week. Yeah. We would work on that week's show. And then we would go to the next week and we'd be working on that show. And all I wanted to do was get the show done by Wednesday night and get it out the door to Richie to mix and then just play Call of Duty all night (laughs) with my friends, with my Call of Duty friends that I used to have. And wow, things seemed so much simpler back then.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so you're like way ahead now, right?
1: Uh, There's a lot more to do. There is... There's, you you know, there's like recording bursts, right? So I'll do multiple in a week for like a whole month. But now there's advertisers and there's a lot more business associated with the show. So it takes up a lot more time. But this is what I do. Like, this is all I do. But this is what I want to be doing. So uh, again, we know this already, but understandable that you couldn't do it because you have three young kids. And that's exactly what I tell people because they ask and I'm like, He's got three young kids, and six to nine p.m. is prime kid time. So he can't be in the basement yeah. multiple times a week for all that time.
0: Yeah, it, that was a big bummer. Was like uh, coming upstairs at night, and Kelly being like, "Oh my god, the baby did X or the baby did Y," and I'm like, oh, "Fuck!" <laughs> like I miss that. I miss the whole thing. Or you know, the girls needed help with their math homework, and I'm like. Oh okay. And she's like, I left it out on the counter for you. Can you like look at it and help them in the morning? I'm like, yeah, I can. Like, I'm sorry. And she's like, no, it's okay. And it, that's Kelly's refrain for pretty much everything is no, it's okay. And it's like, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently it wasn't like, it, you know, we had like a full on like screaming match at like, you know, seven o'clock at night on a Thursday. I'm like, fuck, this is not the way I envisioned this happening and this is causing so much strife and like people are right to ask like you know i was on the show for would you say 111 episodes yeah holy shit um yeah like where did i go and i think that's part of it is like i I didn't go anywhere i i just i can't i can't allocate enough time in the day to be here to do this and i i'm sorry that i can't do that and i i do miss it profoundly because you know the older you get the more you realize you don't have a ton of friends like i don't i don't have friends like i have you and you know people i talk to online and stuff like that and like i don't get to converse with adults outside of you know me talking with my wife before we go to bed like that's <laughs> the the extent of my adult conversation um so this was a cool outlet for that and i i miss it dearly but um i will say It has gotten significantly easier to manage the night, um, especially now, like uh, my wife and I kind of sat down and had like a, let's make a schedule of you do this, I do this, you know, let's take her upstairs at this time, brush her teeth at this time, you know, read stories at this time. So she's in bed because she has to get up when Kelly gets up you know, um, because they all go to school at the same time. My, my daughters go to the same school. My wife teaches at, So it's like, you know, you're getting a three-year-old or two-year-old up at, at 645 in the morning. It's, it's not an easy task. And, um, by 645 for me, I I'm, I'm walking into work. Like I, you know, I teach middle school, so I'm, I'm walking in the building at 645. So it was like, I, I was putting a lot of undue pressure on her and I, I, I felt terrible about it afterwards. But at the same time, I, I I really do miss doing this, especially now that I'm doing it right now. <laughs> well, there's two things to remind
1: yourself of. Number one, you're on the first 111 episodes and you still come back once a year. We're doing an, an annual thing, everybody. <laughs> Tommy's going to come back right before he goes back to school so we can reconnect with each other. And with you, our
0: listeners and our history. I'll do a Christmas break one too, if you want.
1: <laughs> All right, we're gonna we're gonna talk about that. I'll I'll loop in my people, and <laughs> and you'll loop in yours, and we'll figure it out. But uh, but number two, Tommy, this show would not exist without you because I wouldn't have been able to do it by myself. I I'm like too nerve wracked. I'm too neurotic. I almost wanted to just give up and not do it. The f- the night before when I was setting up everything in that hotel room, when we were getting it ready, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I don't know anything about audio. No one's going to listen to this. Like, So, you know, having you there made me able to do this and we did it together Aww. and we did it greatly together. And you know what I think of? Saturday Night Live, uh, Jimmy Fallon was a rising star and they wanted, Lorne Michaels wanted him to do the news by himself. And he said, "I can't do it by myself. I'm too scared. I want Tina Fey to do it with me. If she does it with me, I'll do it." So Lauren said yes, and they did the news together. It was the first time they ever had two people do the news. So you're my Tina Fey, Tommy. I wouldn't have been able to do it without you.
0: I love that. I I, uh, I also love Tina Fey, so we're good. <laughs> I, there you go. There you go. So
1: I I need I wanted you to know that, and just in case you didn't,
0: no, I really appreciate that because I. <laughs> you know for me like this was always like i want to talk about music (laughs) this is fun (laughs) yeah i love sitting down and just talking shit about music and telling old stories and stuff like that like so this was a such a natural fit for everything that we wanted to do and being able to bring in bands that we loved and you know people that we were friends with it was just such a great culmination of just everything I loved about hardcore and just, it made me happy to talk about playing music. And uh, I think that was the big thing for me was like, you took it very seriously, almost like a journalist. Like you, you, you would have, you know, pages of questions and all that. I had a notepad with like 10 things jotted down. I was like, okay, I hope they talk about skateboarding. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> I
1: hope they talk about skateboarding or teaching. And yeah. if they don't, well, uh, we're screwed now. Yeah. I I uh people people are still listening from the beginning. Uh shout out to Intent Accident. That's a band who I was talking to and they're, they someone from that band is going back and listening to every episode. Can you believe it, Tommy?
0: I can't. It's still like the I get once in a while people on Spotify will like somehow find me through like Facebook or Instagram, and they'll be like, hey, I listen to your stuff on Spotify from audience of one. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> All right. I don't I made that when I was 16. I don't remember. That. Like, I don't remember doing any of that.
1: that. Thank you. Well, you have the legacy of the show to add to that as well, because, you know, when we started this thing, we weren't active in music at the time. I tried to do the basement year. That didn't work out. So this was like a good musical outlet for me and uh, you hadn't played for a while either so it was a good musical outlet for you and uh, you know what we got to talk to people we looked up to all the time and that's rare so it was a, it was just a good situation all around
0: i have questions for you oh please please how is playing live with the darling fire
1: unbelievably terrifying <laughs> okay i'm actually back on anxiety medication to help with that really yeah, non-narcotic, you know, like yeah. not, and not anything heavy because I can't be near anything like that. But I have something to help me with stage fright. And because I, I, I found it hard to function even. Like it was like, I wasn't having panic attacks or anything, but it was like really rough. So I, I wanted some help with that. And the, these songs are not easy to play.
0: No, they're not. I, honestly, that's one of those things. I I, I started listening to it you were like I'm join I might join the Darling Fire, and I was like, cool, yeah. And I listened to it, and I was like, oh shit, like he. <laughs> this is this is not like let's just follow root note stuff. Like this is hard. Like there's a lot of it. It
1: can be. It I didn't realize it when I was listening to uh, Rituals, you know, for the first time those times, but it, it can be pretty proggy.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of stuff. There's a, let's just put it this way. Um, m- many bass players don't go past the ninth fret. Yeah. Uh, there's a handful of things that I heard and I went, oh, shit, like this is going to be this is a timing issue. This is a like there's a lot of things that go into playing like that. And um, I-, I applaud you because I know that like if someone told me that right now and said, hey, you want to learn an entire band's catalog? I'd be like, no. No, I don't care how much I want to be on stage <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't want that that nervous anxiety like it, it would be um I don't know if you have these. Do you have like reoccurring thoughts that are just consuming every minute of every day All right, phenomenal so <laughs> it, it's that like i would i would I would literally go to bed thinking about it and wake up in the morning remembering dreams I had about messing up like that's all I would do.
1: Yeah, it was that was my life for 2 months while I learned these songs and it was all consuming. And you know what? Now that I I would always ask bands that we had on like what how did you learn the songs? What did you do? Because I think deep down I knew I was going to maybe do that someday if I
0: joined a band. Well, I uh I will see you August 20th at the
1: Oh yeah, that was the other important question I had. Will you be coming to the Darling Fire? philadelphia gig on august 20th
0: i already put a calendar invite to kelly (laughs) she knows i'm i'm unavailable at starting and that's one of those shows it starts early and it starts early and ends early it's over by 7 30 it's perfect it's perfect for me like absolutely perfect like i can literally go to that and then go hang out with doug for an hour and then go home like that's going to be like to me i'm like this is phenomenal Like that's, that's a great, great, great opportunity for me to go hang out with you.
1: Yes. Yes. This is, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be good. Well, listen, everybody, that's it. That's it. We're out of time. Tommy, do you have any important and inspiring and inspirational closing words for the people before we leave?
0: You know what I did? That was really difficult. And it was one of those things that I had. So here's the premise of it. Don't give up on something because you think it's too difficult. So I got a new guitar about a year ago. I've been listening to music in my car every day on the way home from school. Um, I typically listen to podcasts on the way in. So on the way home, I was just kind of like scrolling through music. And I hit an old Cryptopsy song that I loved from, I think it's from None So Vile. It's called Phobophile. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm going to learn this song. I downloaded that thing on my computer or on my phone, that uh, Songster that has all the tab and you can slow it down. It took me from when I, when was the last day of school? June 16th until about a week ago. So July 27th, I'm up to measure 90 in the song and it's a difficult song. Like it really took me a long time to get a lot of the fingering down. There's a lot of chromatic parts that I'm not familiar with that took me just like all right, well, I don't know how to do this. So I have to sit down and practice scales. So if something seems difficult from the onset, don't just give up because you think you don't have the ability to do it. Persevere. Like you might really surprise yourself. There was times where I got through three, four measures a night and I was like, shit, like this is really good. Like I'm, I'm making progress. Uh, you can actually surprise yourself if you really do set the time out, you know, takes, you know, five, six weeks of just, I'm going to focus on this. And do it just because you think you can't do it doesn't mean you can't like sit down and, and put the work in, and you will surprise yourself most of the time. don't be like i'm going to you know learn differential equations tonight <laughs> that's
1: actually, no that's don't do that happen. at all yeah don't no, do no. It.
0: no, do it, but don't do it in, in you know set a reasonable time limit.
1: <laughs> persistence pays, but listen that's it. that's all the time we have. we're out of time. I'm back next week with another landmark guest Now Tommy this is another person i've been waiting to have on the show since we started the show and they put out a record that's probably the most important record of my lifetime hmm? mm-hmm. 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 we're going to leave it right there we're going to leave it right there so that's it so i'm going to end the show we're going to do a double dip right a rare double dip because we had steven brodsky on the show i'm going to end the show with Luminance by Caven. I'm back next week with a new episode and a new guest. So thanks everybody for listening and until next time. think about some of this music and those times like I can listen to a record and be right back in that time and have that feeling and it it just feels like a lifetime ago
0: oh yeah no 100% yeah
1: that's all you got man come on I'm sorry I was going (coughs) I'm coughing (laughs) (coughs) I actually hit mute like at the right time and then (laughs) she started talking to me again um I yo I was so thrown you're like it does. And I'm waiting for you to say more, and I'm like, "Oh my God, something's I, wrong." I took
0: a sip of water, and it went down the wrong, <laughs> it went down the wrong pipe. Oh my give, word!
1: Give yourself a second.
0: Yeah.